My name's Brett, and this is my podcast, DevOps and Docker Talk. This show is produced as a live YouTube show every week on Thursdays, and then it usually makes its way into this audio-only podcast, which means that my guests were on the internet showing off tools and techniques, so this is sort of a clip, short version of that. I'm just really a DevOps guy that talks a lot about containers, a lot, for the last five-plus years. I'm a Docker captain. I do a bunch of courses. You can find out all that stuff on brettfisher.com. And my YouTube live show and this podcast are sponsored by my Patreon page, which is where you can essentially buy me a coffee for a couple of bucks a month to thank me for all this content that hopefully helps you in your job or in your hobbies or whatever you're doing with containers and DevOps and Docker and Kubernetes and every other buzzword in the DevOps ecosystem right now. So this podcast was recorded in January of 2020, and I'm now talking about this on April 23rd as I release this podcast three months later. So I definitely have got a backlog that I've got to get through of all these great podcasts of guests talking about their cool projects. And this one is definitely a cool one. It's a friend of mine, Alex Ellis, who lives in Great Britain, and he's done all sorts of stuff. He's been a Docker captain. He's a CNCF ambassador. He's been a fan of containers since the beginning, and he does all sorts of cool stuff and projects in open source. He plays around with Raspberry Pis and talks about them on his blog. He has some incredibly popular Kubernetes and container projects, including OpenFAS, Inlets, and a whole bunch more that we will get into in this podcast. And just a reminder, like I was saying, he's got a lot of demos that you can see on YouTube in this show that I clipped some of that out because it didn't make sense to really put in an audio-only podcast. And in case you're interested in any of his projects, which I definitely recommend you check out, you could certainly go to his website, which all those links are going to be in the show notes because he's got ways for you to support him and his open source work, which he's trying to do full-time and looking for people to help him. And I have to admit, his stuff is pretty great. He comes up with some really great ideas and he implements them really well with easy-to-use command lines and really loves to support his community through open source. So I hope you enjoy this conversation and some of the technical stuff we talk about with his projects. And also, we get a little bit into what it's like to work in open source and try to get paid by the community while you're doing some stuff on the side, like consulting. It's a really interesting discussion if you're ever interested in doing some open source work and maybe getting paid for that yourself. Now on with the show. Thanks for being on the show, Alex. Thanks, Brett. It's great to be on your show finally. Yeah. We've been talking about this for a while. Uh, We actually saw each other in Berlin like three or four months ago. Yep, for GoTo. Yeah, Yeah. that was a really good event. Yeah, it was good to see you there. Yeah, it was a good time. And that was a, a pretty cool conference. It was only my second time in Berlin, so it's always great to see that city. What did you talk about there? I went there to talk about Plonk, which is how we're talking about open fans at the moment yeah i guess one of the reasons for that is because sometimes people when they start looking at kubernetes and containers and they hear the word serverless they get a bit confused and say things like we're not ready for serverless yet as if they kind of have, have kind of figured out what serverless is and it doesn't apply however yeah when you look at a project like open fast it it started out as a way of getting functions running basically on your own hardware in containers. And so what we're doing with Plunk is trying to kind of reframe OpenFAS and the cloud native tools that make up that stack as a, a stack for application developers, where 
really we've done a lot of work around the developer experience and making sure it's sort of batteries included. Yeah, which is important. That's a big deal on this show too, because I think a lot of these tools can be fairly complex to you know impl- even understand and implement. So, but before we get into the fun stuff, let me just give you all a little brief recap of who Alex is and why he's here. So he's a respected expert on serverless and cloud-native computing. He's been speaking all over the world, helping organizations with serverless for years now. He founded OpenFAS, one of the most popular open-source serverless projects, where he has built a community via writing. He's blogging all the time. He's speaking at conferences and extensive personal engagement with people. The community runs his own Slack for all of this stuff. He's also a consultant and CNCF ambassador, That's the same organization that maintains a lot of these tools like Kubernetes and whatnot. He helps companies around the world building great developer experiences and navigate the cloud native landscape. So this show is really going to be all about how how containers and the world of DevOps relate to this new idea of serverless or functions as a service. So I guess first up, my biggest question I always have a hard time explaining is, Alex, what are there a diff- is there a difference between serverless and FAS? Is th- are those terms interchangeable? What's going on there? Yeah, I guess that's something that comes up a lot, or at least came up a lot when this idea first came about. And the way I kind of look at it is uh, serverless is like a category of computing, like maybe like cloud and functions is a more specific part of that. If you look, if you think about it, you might have cloud computing. But then within that, you've got things like SAN, like network access for storage, and you have things like perhaps compute and other areas. Functions are really just another part of of compute. Or And when you look at it from a serverless perspective, it's really saying, okay, well, we understand compute very well, but now let's take it and abstract it a little bit. Let's put some checks and balances in there so that when we, when we look at this compute, it's actually got a kind of interface around it and some characteristics. The main characteristic is the developer experience. So the purest form of a, let's say a function would be something that takes an input and then given that input runs a bit of code and produces an output. So I I remember you you were there when I I had the privilege to go and speak at DockerCon in 2017 and sort of launched this project as FAS. And, you know, I showed the Alexa and I spoke to it and I sort of asked her what the weather was. And that was one of the built-in skills. But then we were doing this Moby Mingles where people could kind of arrange these little chats with each other. And I was able to ask it how many Moby, Moby Mingles there were. And that went off and ran an API call to their third-party service from the company that was running it, got the value back, put it in a nice sentence. And then we were able to sort of customize that IoT device. Yeah, that was an exciting time, 2017. That was like... That was you in front of like 6,000 people, wasn't it? <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, it was definitely like a harrowing experience. First first time of doing something like that, yeah. Yeah, that that's like one of those moments in life where you can probably look at a room full of people and go, none of you have done that. None of you had to pull off a demo working on the internet with a lot of interchangeable parts in front of a massive audience and, right. and it all worked. <laughs> so. I mean, I, I had about six live demos i think and you can go and find it up on the internet because i think uh, recordings are just for wimps (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah and that's the theme of DockerCon. it's always been about live demos right nothing recorded obviously if you have a fail you have a sort of a backup plan but uh it's always about how many live demos can we put on the main stage at at, in one show i guess when it goes wrong it it really goes wrong but we shouldn't be too hard on our friend gareth (laughs) 
<laughs> we got to bring them up. Yeah, there. I mean, there have been fails over the years, right? And yeah. it's it's always you're always in the audience going, "Oh, I feel so sorry for you right now," because <laughs> no, none of us want to be that person. We all want to be on stage, but none of us want to be that person. It's good if you have a few lined up. And so that was kind of where I started to look at it. And then one of the other demos was we were transferring some files from the West Coast to the East Coast, but needing an audit trail of of how many files had actually been recorded in the database. It was using Minio, an S3 alternative. And every time Minio received a file and verified it, it sent a webhook and the function recorded that. We were able to kind of inspect that with Grafana and compare it to what we're expecting. But that was, I mean, what, three years ago, and now what we've seen is that there's like 50 or so, maybe a few more companies that have gone and put their logo on the OpenFAS homepage to say they're using it in production. Companies like Vision Banco that I spoke with in Paraguay, sorry, from Paraguay last year. And Praticio had basically ported over a lot of their home banking service running on Node.js to sorry previously running in java over to node.js running it with openfaz i couldn't believe it actually when he told me he worked at a bank and he he was running openfaz in production on on that scale so that is really like the other end of functions is they're just microservices but this serverless approach means that they'll auto scale that we get metrics built in that there's a nice build system there and a, and a good way of kind of managing that yeah that that is really cool Tons and tons. And the community, I think it's one of the most amazing parts of this story is that you started this at DockerCon and you've had, it says here on your website, over 200 contributors. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I think there's like 250 now. And we just show like a random selection of them on on this page, which is really, really cool. But yeah, I, I started the project. Docker were like, it's, it's not good enough yet. Keep pushing. And that kind of really spurred me on to try to go just a little bit further and and I thought I'd create something so cool that 6,000 people had seen it that now I'd just have people lining up to contribute to it and use it at work and it really wasn't the case but I did have a small community of people that had been kind of helping and that were interesting mainly from like my blog posts um, and tutorials and so I started to try and find ways of getting them to help whether it was um, updating a readme or raising an issue or, or making a change here and there and probably the best the best thing that could happen for the project was adding a cli because it just didn't have one and then people drew in and the early people that worked on that tended to kind of stick around they're still there a lot of them are still there now because a cli is something that's quite approachable right you calling an api putting some results out and that's one of the areas where we've had the most contributions interesting yeah, and so that allows you to be able to add new functions, manage functions without having to use Docker or Kubernetes commands. Is that the idea there? Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, to begin with, I think I was using, there was a little bit of a UI. It wasn't very good. And then you could put them in your Docker Compose stack files. Now there's a whole RESTful API on Kubernetes. There's what's called a, a custom resource definition. And Kubernetes nerds go crazy for those. It's like catnip. Um, and so everything is there that you'd expect all in the right places. And then the CLI, um, can allow you to like log in list, list functions from a function store. That's something that was added, um, in collaboration with a guy called Ken Fukuyama over in Japan. And, um, I had all of the API ready for that and the idea for the CLI, but I needed the UI. And so he worked on that and got it finished just in time for my first KubeCon 
in um, in Austin and I was able to show it there and people really responded well to that idea of, a, of sharing and discovering what other people have built and reusing that. Very cool. Well, while we're on the topic of OpenFAS, I've got some, let's see, I've got a first question here. When you say that a function would be running in a container, how is it different than, say, Nginx service running in a container? How do you just run a function? Yeah, I mean, effectively, they, they are the same. So what you have is something like Nginx. If it conforms to a basic runtime contract, then we can deploy even Nginx in OpenFAS, and you can get all of the benefits of scaling to zero, horizontal scaling across the infrastructure that you've got, metrics, the UI, the RESTful API. And so then you get something that, you know, it kind of feels like containers as a service, but there's just enough of the functional benefits there that if you just wanted to do pure functions, event-driven programming and all the rest of it, you could do that too. So if you look in the open, if we look in the open files docs, there's actually, uh, there's like a runtime definition. And at the moment that is, it should serve HTTP traffic on port 8080 and have a health check. And that's about it. And if you can conform to that, we can deploy and manage that for you in a container. Cool. Yeah. Do you do you have a demo on OpenFAS you want to walk through? Yeah, so what I wanted to show you is that sometimes when people get started, uh, it can be a little, a little bit to take in, right? So you've got to understand functions, containers, Kubernetes, serverless, and maybe just a bit too much. So what... What we've gone and done is put together this thing called OpenFAS Cloud. And here we can commit code into a GitHub repository. And that code will then go through a complete container pipeline. And out the end of it, uh, there'll be a container image and it will get deployed off the other side. Like if this is that easy to, to experiment with, what what are the arguments that people are having against even trying this out? Like what's other than just learning the tools because you were talking earlier about yeah the people say well we're not ready for serverless i think people so when people understand that kubernetes is very difficult to master and it's even very difficult to get to the point where as a team you can feel confident that the processes that you've taken would result in a secure application in production that's potentially cost effective and has a number of other benefits to it um it, it's very very difficult very hard to get to that point and you probably, you know, could benefit from using an external consultant or training company, somebody sort of give it a, a, an external review. Well, with something like OpenFAS, you can probably run most of those compute workloads, but it gets reduced down to um, this stack YAML file and maybe a Docker file. So if you're not quite ready for functions and that sort of approach, you can have a Docker file. If you can Dockerize it, then it's fair game and just listen on the correct HTTP port and you've got four lines of YAML. If you compare that to Kubernetes, and we have done, I just show, showed that GoTo actually had a nice animation of all of these files popping up. It was like 500 lines of text because yeah. you need a deployment, you need a service, you need an ingress, you need your Docker file, you need your entry point. There's more to it than that. There's there's even more. You, know, you, you get your config maps and your policy. secrets. And... You know, you're going to have to have an, a definition for the certificate. It just goes on and on and on. Well, if somebody in your team is kind of like a Brett Fisher, they can kind of swoop in and deploy OpenFAS Cloud on AWS. And then all people have to do is what I just showed you now. And they'll have effectively production-ready, scalable endpoint with TLS. 
And how do you see when people start to experiment with something like OpenFAS and serverless? You know, I talk about that it, you know, people assume that it's just going to take over everything. And I, I tend to talk about that, well, it's not, it's not likely that people are just going to take all their old, old code that they writ, wrote before this and suddenly convert it. So my, I don't really have any clients using serverless yet. My assumption is that they're augmenting existing applications and infrastructure with serverless rather than trying to rewrite code. Is that true? Yeah, I mean, I I have a client at the moment um, called DX, and they're a ticket sales company and also have venue management software that's really popular in, in the country. And they have a, a big monolith that's written in PHP and run can run in a Docker container. And I think it's using PHP FPM. They are going to lift and shift that to OpenVAS Cloud completely. But they still want to do the build for that on their, their old Travis system. But then they'll just use OpenFast Cloud to control the version, to control the scaling, the metrics, and get some insights on it. So they are actually doing a complete lift and shift, and they don't have to change the code at all. Mm. They then have a few brownfield services written in Laravel, some written in C Sharp. They're coming across, again, with a Docker file. But then any, everything that's new, they want to write in C Sharp 3.1 um, with .NET Core and also using Go. And so for those, they can just use the templates that we've already got and they can start sort of expanding. But the important thing for them is that not everybody in their team has to be a, has to have a PhD in YAML, right, and and to keep up. An example was that in Kubernetes 1.16, the apps one beta moved to apps v1 and stopped working. With OpenFAS, you didn't have to do anything. You just update the version of OpenFAS and then you get exactly the same workflow. Um, but for us, running OpenFAS, we had to go running around through all the files because it's a normal Kubernetes application, updating everything and retesting it. Wow. And the, the, the question we just had, how OpenFAS is different from Knative? Yeah, I mean, OpenFAS started in 2016, and that was the first commit. It's a community-driven project with 20, over 20,000 GitHub stars, over 250 contributors. There's really a community project, and that's very, very important to it, to have that independence. Knative is much newer, I guess, is it about a year old now, maybe a year and a half, that was built with Google and their partners. And to begin with, it was very tightly coupled to Istio and extremely heavyweight. I mean, we, we tested it and we couldn't get it to run in 16 gigs of RAM because they were really going after a different target market. There are folks that have tried Knative because their CTO has told them to and they're happy with it. There's also people that have come to our community and said, well, we've looked at all of the options. And one thing that we really liked about OpenFAS was the community and the simplicity that it has. And, you know, I think if you're thinking of trying one or the other, my advice would be to try both and make your own mind up based upon your use case and how well you feel either project suits it. Yeah. All right. That's a good answer because there's obviously lots of opinions on ways to do things as we we are learning in this show that there is rarely just one choice anymore for how to use container stuff. It's the whole landscape has changed in the last five years and we now have a a plethora of choices. But like you pointed out, this has been around a long time, 2016 in container speak is forever. (laughs) So... Let's let's shift gears a little bit and talk about another one of your projects because Alex is constantly coming up with new ways 
to use containers and to support Kubernetes, especially now that that is such a dominating part of the ecosystem. And you have a project called Inlets. Let me show that yeah. off. The Inlets GitHub page at github.com slash inlets slash inlets. I don't know if you've used Ngrok or heard of it, or maybe you've used Cloudflare's Argo, Argo project. Inlets is very similar to that, except it, it really came about out of a necessity to get tunnels that would work in the enterprise. And I think because Ngrok's done so well, so many people know it for exposing local web services to the internet. The administrators were, were, were right on that. They were like, we're going to blanket ban ngrok.io. Yeah. And so if you work at an enterprise company like VMware, where I was just over a year ago, and you you have a team that needs to test webhooks for the, the project they're working on as part of their daily duties, you, you're kind of screwed. There's, there's not a lot that you can do. And so, especially if you don't have a budget to buy, you know, get them AWS EC2 instances and stuff like that. So I put together this project over um, the Christmas break. It was like my, my downtime project and it, it just worked. And so we were able to provision our own VMs, $5 DigitalOcean droplet as the exit server. And that's where the internet can get to. And then by dialing out to it with a WebSocket and then keeping it open, what we could do on the other end of the code is say, um, well, if we need this website or we need this web page, just go and grab it and then send it back to um, the droplet. So in that in that way, we're able to test these webhooks and get um, public access to it, a cluster that might be running on K3S, might be running in a VM three levels deep, um, and basically anywhere that can reach out, you can now get into it. Right. That, and this is all on infrastructure you have more control over. It's not someone else's uh, shared or free resource that you don't know what's what's going on in that connection. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, if that is important to people, they can use Heroku as an exit node. There are some other services that you might want to look at, too. There's a free tier with GCP, um, a contributor called Utsav. He added that. And if you use, I think it's the F1 micro in a certain region, it's effectively free for the for the month. Hmm. AWS has some free tier as well. So it doesn't have to cost you a lot. And you can actually multiplex multiple websites through that. Uh, example might be, let's say you've got your OpenVAS website, you've got Prometheus and Grafana. Um, using one exit node IP and droplet, we can just forward the whole three of them out. Very cool. Did you want to talk more about that or demo it or anything? You could demo of it, actually. Yeah, I mean, um, it's kind of one of those things where it, it either works or it doesn't. But I think uh, conceptually, for those that haven't used, been able, you know, or hadn't had a need or didn't know about Ingrok and other tools like that, I think it would be cool to just kind of show so how, how easy this can be to set up. Let's see. Have we got any React developers on the chat tonight? Say hi in chat if you have ever developed a React app. <laughs> so let's let's run create react app we're going to pretend that i'm a freelancer i'm a uh, maybe a brett in a past life and i've built this great app it's ready for the client to see but i'm cheap as well and i don't want to deploy it on ec2 maybe it's not quite ready or i'm hacking on it a lot i keep changing it and isn't react fast oh my goodness <laughs> really gonna have to pad this one out Brett. <laughs> no it's it's uh, fine this is not inlets by the way so this is where this is where in the demo we when we make the new we we make the podcast we cut through the 
npm install yeah. portion of this. <laughs> so there's the inlet CLI. And normally you would, you know, you go and set up your server, but who wants to set up servers, especially if, you know, you're used to serverless. So we create this CLI called inlet CTL and it allows me to go off and just create the exit node automatically. And it gives me almost like a, a connection string that I can use. So what I'm going to do is create, use provider, DigitalOcean, my, fa my favorite cloud at the moment, friends of the project as well. I'm going to say I want that in the London region, which is a default. And I have to specify an access token. So I'm going to use the API. Let me see. So that's going to create the exit node uh, on DigitalOcean. Let's run that. Now, this will tick a few times because we know you can't create a, a server instantly, but maybe in about 20 seconds. And whilst that's running, create React app is contending with Skype for resources back there where we can race them off together. And once that's done, I will basically run in Let's client on my computer and then that will connect over the internet, but I need to tell it where it's pointing to. So where where is this actually pointing? Well, let's see. Let's go into my app, npm start. I think, is it, what is it, port 3000? Yeah, localhost 3000. Yeah. Okay, so in the background, Inlets is actually provisioning the VM on DigitalOcean, right? Yeah, the VM's done. I mean, it, it was done yeah. in about, about 20 seconds. Yeah. We need to get the nice spinning atom now. And then I'm going to change this command. So the upstream is going to be 3000 for that React. And then there's an auth token and there's the remote IP address here as well. That's connected now. And don't you love a live demo? Let's see if it works. Oh, yeah. There we go. Sweet. So anybody like if this is if you can type that in fast enough, um, you'll get to this. Now this live experience is the same as what I've got on localhost. So if you've developed in React, you know that we can now go into source, app.js, and learn React. Let's change this to learn. Open Vaz, Ketchup, and inlets. And they're both good. So our customer is now looking at that live site. Freelancer version of me is sat here, very happy. I'm about to get, get my invoice paid, right? And I've got this experience. But if I also wanted to, remember that Kubernetes cluster that I had earlier? Well, I don't have to forward things on my own computer. I can actually forward that as well. So if I put in here 101, which is the master IP, 31112, which is the node port for OpenFAS. I've still got the same server up and running, but now I can do function, and it was node info. And there we go. Now I'm forwarding that Raspberry Pi cluster behind me, and this function is load balanced across 20 of them, and I'm exposing that out directly through this tunnel that's running here. And when I'm done, if I want a kill switch, I can control C this. There is an ID here, which was provisioned with the host. And just like the create, I can go delete ID. And that's now gone out of my account. And tunnels down. It's all gone. That is pretty easy.
What kind yeah. of what kind of uh, infrastructure? Did, I don't know if you mentioned it. Does it support? So we know DigitalOcean. Do you have other? Yeah. So this is the automated side of it. I mean, you can run inlets uh, wherever you want. It's absolutely no restrictions. And by the way, it doesn't have to be between the, the a private network and the internet. One of the earliest sort of users of this was a company called Vision that automate OpenShift. And they wanted to get the Kubernetes API server from a really restrictive VPC to that for the customer to a slightly less restrictive VPC that they run their control plane in. And they're using inlets for that. Yeah, so that, so that prevents them from having to set up all this custom infrastructure and working with network teams and all that just to get one per, you know, one team into one port on one server in AWS. Yeah, that's really that's a great use case I didn't think about. Yeah. Yeah, so the inlet CTL will create DigitalOcean, GCE, EC2, Packet, Scaleway, Sivo. But there's one other thing that I'm really sort of proud about, which is the inlets operator. And... I don't know if you've ever if you've ever ever had like a, a Minikube cluster and found out what happens when you um, do try to run a load balancer, <laughs> try and run, run something that's got a load balancer in it. You're talking about the load balancer node uh, type and resources. They talking about the yeah, so service. So load in, yeah. in Kubernetes, let's say you've got an AWS EKS and you're deploying. Oh, okay. What should we deploy? Let's say we deployed OpenFast and we want to get to the UI. We've got a type of load balancer. What a cloud provider will do is it will go off and it will go, I know how to do that. I'm going to get this one in this rack. I'm going to assign it to you. I'm going to plumb it into your cluster. That's yours now. And then when the public hits that IP, they get into your cluster and they access your private resource that you've got there. Yeah. Um, You can't really do that when you're working at home, on a laptop or remotely. But the good news is that you can actually use the inlets operator. Now, if I, if we think back, I did that inlet CTL create. It's a very similar command. What I'll do is ketchup app install inlets operator. And then into this, I'm going to put a basically token file for my access token for DigitalOcean in this instance again. And I don't really think I need anything else maybe provider, and this will install an operator, provider. Let's just check what cube context we're on first. We don't want to, we don't want to mess this up. (laughs) Have we got, have we got the config command? There's a because I'm using a local cluster here. Ah, oh, that's what I want. There you go. K3D. So always check your cube context, kids. You do not want to delete production. All right. <laughs> Test your backup strategies. Here's the 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 thing. And as we know before, we've already got Helm, so it's not going to download it again. It's using the proper chart. It's inputting the values. And now, um, if we get services. We can see that we deployed Nginx earlier, right? Yeah. Um, that should actually now get a public IP because the the Inglet's operator is scanning for these resources, looking for them, trying to allocate them there when they've got that specific type. Oh, interesting. Okay, so when it sees the load balancer type, it 
automatically routes that through the inlet server. Yeah. So let's have a look and see if we've got anything. Yeah, because there's when with with my Kubernetes students, that's one of the challenges too. Is that you know when you start getting into things like services and it, it gets worse and you get into ingress and you know persistent storage and all that, where everyone's on a different type type of machine and everyone's got a different setup, and so not everyone the load the load balancer service type won't always work for di- different setups like you mentioned micro uh minikube and micro k8s they don't work out of the box and so it's yeah. challenging for learning parts because i have to end up making three ways of doing the same thing for each command and this is actually a pretty interesting way to say hey just use inlets to get this what what about like on your local machine cuz well, so, this is on my local machine and on my my mac mini now and if you switch back to the screen we've got the ip back is showing up on kubectl, and I'm going to curl it. Is it going to is that going to work? Let's see. So we did we did get actually get it. This is the logs of the operator. It saw that oh okay because we basically I'm running k3s comes with traffic mm-hmm. and traffic is conflicting for IPs. But there we go. So I've so the one for traffic has worked. And that's actually in, don't install two ingress controllers like I've done. It's a very bad idea. <laughs> but but there, there it is. And so I can curl that. And obviously, ingress controller is meant to go to a resource. So right. it's not going to work, work, but we're getting a response back. In this case, a 404 is, is good and it's what we expect. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's what we're expecting. And so if I was to deploy OpenFAS again, let's see. What have we got? Get um, deploys in OpenFAS namespace. Have we got a service for it? This is as a node port. Okay. So Ketchup, rather than going to all of like the complicated pages to, to figure out what option I need from the Helm chart readme, I just put load balancer. Let's see if I can install over the top. And the idea is here, now that flag has set a specific value for me, and the service has now been changed to a load balancer. And we know what happens when we create a load balancer. The inlet's operator because, gets on it. Was yeah. that a test? <laughs> the, the, well, so the, my, I, the one thought I had was, could inlets, okay, so like I'm on a Mac like you, yeah. and... When I'm using Docker Desktop with Kubernetes, it has the VPN kit feature set inside so that the load balancer service type works. But that's not true if I'm using micro K8s or Minikube or anything else locally. What do you mean works? I mean, it doesn't It doesn't give you a public IP. No, no, no. It's for local development. Yeah. Yeah. So so in other words, it's routing. It, it will acknowledge the node type and handle, or the service type, rather, of load balancer, and it'll handle it. If you try to do it on Minikube yeah. or micro K8s, it just doesn't work. It won't. The load balancer service type will say, you know, it won't know what to do. And I was sitting here yeah. wondering, the way that you're doing it is with an external, the use cases for getting it accessible externally. But what if I simply want, one of the problems is if someone's running Minikube on a Mac, they can't use the local host, you know, so. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And I was wondering uh, if inlets could run directly on the Mac, the inlet service, and yeah. then you could. It, it, it can. So it can do all of the, it can actually do a kubectl port forward as well. That's yeah. another part of inlet, inlet CTL is this kube forward command. 
And with this, I can say, forward me all the traffic from test app Express.js. And then I can say, what, where my server's listening? But I don't know if you've used this one, but this should work for you. If you can get kubectl from where you are, is kubectl port forward. And this is this is pretty nice. So I can go gateway, open fas, 80, 80, 80, 80. And this will now port forward that open fas. I mean, this isn't anything to do with the open source projects that I'm working on. This sure, is a Kubernetes yeah. thing, but there we go. This is something you should probably have a look into if, you, if you're not, not using it. Yeah, so th- there... That's the option that I give people, but one of the challenges is like in a comp- complicated enough demo, there's multiple ports. So then I end up, the setup just is not optimized because I end up with saying, yeah. now you got to run this in four different windows for the four different ports. And then, you know, like the, the voting example yeah, from Docker, right? You know, you've yeah. got the, the two different websites. So now I have to run two because it, it's not demonized. It's running in the shell. So I was sitting, I was sitting there thinking, ooh, the operator was running. It would just yeah. pick up anything that says load balancer and aut- could automatically potentially forward from the, the local host so that they could just use the local host. Because um, one of the challenges that Jerome Pedazzoni and I have, have had is in teaching Kubernetes, whether it's in workshops or online, is that once you start getting anything that has to do with storage or networking, everyone's setup is different. <laughs> and so he's, in his way, he's putting them on just regular VMs in the cloud so everybody has a standard setup. But when people are learning on their own, they, their setups are so vast you know people are using the the web-based versions code kata and kubernetes play with kubernetes that kind of stuff and i was thinking at least if if i knew they were on a mac and they were having something locally that is it running is that what you could call it the inlets daemon is that what's running on your linux nodes the inlets server um is what faces like where where you want your users to access yeah and they're not they're not it can work for your use case totally yeah the normal kind of use case is that you're you're trying to get some network access to somewhere where you where you just can't maybe behind that maybe behind a firewall maybe you're at work but yeah we, we i'm pretty sure we could put something together or there might be one of there might be a tool that someone's already created like cube cube forward that might work for this too yeah cube forward i don't know about that one yeah all right, we have one more thing on your list because you are the open source fanatic. Like you're, you're like you make more open source in a month than I make in three years. So, <laughs> so yeah. I, I noticed one other thing on your list that I have I have no awareness of, which is FASD, serverless with CNI yeah. and Container D. Well, you know, a friend, and well, I'm no longer a Docker captain, but a fellow Docker captain, Philestis. Right, he's very much uh, an advocate for the Container D project. Yeah. Uh, Container D is part of FASD. So if what, FAS, what FASD is, is if you if you took Kubernetes and you took Docker and you got rid of them, what is left that can run a container? What's at the very bottom level? It's, it's something called Container D most of the time. I mean, Red Hat that have, have their own technologies as well right. um, that they prefer. But ContainerD is a CNCF project and it was spun out, I think, by Michael Crosby originally as a weekend project. And it's the very bottom part. And under that is something like Run C or Kata containers. So for, and this was about a year ago, I started on this journey, is can I just make a provider for OpenVAS? Because remember, OpenVAS got launched on swarm it then after one month later switched over to supporting kubernetes fully then we had people add rancher 1.0 then we had people add nomad from hashicorp 
all effectively working with all the same tools and everything. Then I thought, well, can I make a container D backend that might be great for local development, for edge devices, or just for people that really just need some functions and endpoints in a in an appliance in a VM, and they don't want to get into all of this um, complicated Kubernetes stuff. Right. And that's FASD. Very cool. Yeah. Do you? Is this your latest project? This is the latest one, and I, you know, I started it a year ago, but I got really stuck because it turns out that low-level container tools are very poorly documented, and it's really hard to get help. Yeah. Um, and this is something that I've been sort of bringing up to the ContainerD team and to the CNI team. CNI gets IP addresses for containers, and ContainerD runs the container for you. Uh, and then r- and run sees it's it's like a sort of best mate as well. So with the three of those projects, we can get something that looks like a single node Kubernetes cluster, but with way less RAM, way less complication. And because OpenFAS already schedules containers for you, it would normally lean on Kubernetes to do that. But instead, we, we're just able to do it all in, in one shot. Um, and there's a little blog post that you might be able to find. Yeah, you, am I sharing or is that you? Yeah, that's you. Is that me? So this this was quite fun. I, I wrote this up when I got everything working end to end. And you'll see you'll walk through adding ContainerD and then you'll install the networking. After that, there's Faz ContainerD that's kind of a plugin for this. But you do then get to do stuff that's a bit different. Like normally, you're probably not messing about with systemd. Well, we're using systemd to run a lot of the stuff here, and it's perfectly good for that. And then rather than Docker logs, you can go off and get the logs back from there. Um, it shows you how you can deploy a function from the store, how to log in. This is a function that gives you an avatar for GitHub, and we sort of invoke it and get the image back, run asynchronously. This is a really powerful system. And what I loved was because these are containers and OpenVAS has always been built for containers, is it very easy just to lift and shift that. And even we talked about inlets, you can then go and get a public IP for that FASD server that you're running. And now anyone in the world that you choose can access it. And this is, this is I'm trying to think of when I would choose this over something else. This is designed for a single server, right? Right now, there's no clustering built in, but you know, I think the way we the way we tend to think about clustering is through the lens of what we already have. So we think of, oh, we need to have this quorum, we need to have a join and a master and a server and a worker. But what if we, we kind of looked at, I don't know, hard drives, the idea of RAID, we have redundancy. What if we had exactly the same stuff deployed on, I don't know, three different EC2 nodes, all exactly the same and DNS round robin. Now, we don't need Kubernetes and we can do something extremely simple and we can still get our containers and repeatable builds. We still get the networking and a, and a production grade container orchestrator, but a lot of those headaches and complications have gone away. Yeah. The, you know, in the past when someone wanted the simplest setup, I often just for running containers, I would often tell them just a single node swarm because it allowed them to scale. But with Keith, K3S and now Ketchup, it's it, you know, the argument for Kubernetes is so more complex to just install uh, is continuing to like that 
the separation between the two in terms of installation complexity key, continues to narrow. So something mm-hmm. like this is is even simpler. So I'm wondering yeah. how, you know, I have to put this into my repertoire of when to recommend something for a single node setup like this. I think we, we, we're sort of trying to figure out where, where it fits as well. I mean, this started as an, inno- an innovation project and it's gone really well. And just like FAS when it began, the first day I went up in front of 6,000 people, I didn't have 100 emails the next day of people putting into production. It took time. And sometimes, uh, you know, I think you could probably split down the middle. You have maybe explorers and you have exploiters and the exploiters know the market and they're tapping into what's already there and making use of it. Maybe, I mean, strip mining open source projects. And you have the explorers that are coming along and trying to figure out, you know, would this be smart? Is there any benefit to it? Would it be a good idea? What if I created this and saw what happened? And I kind of think that when I look at Darren Shepard from from Rancher that created K3S, that's kind of what he does with his projects is he'll put some stuff together to try and get people talking. I know thought leader is something that's a bit of a dirty word at the moment, but perhaps a thought leader will come along and try to get people thinking and coming in a direction. I think we will see more people building tools on top of Containerd, and if all this ends up being is an interesting example of a ref, you know reference architecture of how you can do that, then I think that would be a good outcome. But you know I'm looking for input from the community, and I th- and I think that we can do things like have a very cold, very fast cold start for a function. Um, we can scale things down and up pretty much instantaneously, and I do think that the way we look at clustering. It, could be a bit narrow and there might be room for us to have like a a simpler way where it's much more like just redundancy rather than replicas that are scheduled and one thing and another right right which is similar to the way we used to do databases right it was uh a single node with a mirror but you weren't really pointing to those backup plans you were always just using the main one and you you had a little bit more it was easier to set up because you didn't have to worry about all the you know, the load balancers in front, the auto failover and the IP transitioning. And it was actually a conversation we had just the other night at, at the Docker and Kubernetes meetup here locally was around just the complexity of failing over from one node to another, or just the fact that if you want to set up a cluster, you it's implied that you have something in front of it, which not everyone has. Yeah. And yeah. It, it can be really tricky. So it, it, it can be tricky. You know, some some of the things that I think one of the one of the things that that happens when you create open source software is that you can make it very easy for developers to build software on top of that and to get a, a speed up and an advantage. But it's not necessarily a good commercial strategy to make things too easy. And so perhaps I haven't had the best commercial strategy with OpenFAS as of late. Almost none of the companies that use it in production pay anything towards it yeah. um, or its upkeep. They're very happy to consume support time and one thing and another. Now, there are a few exceptions, but I think I've been on a, a sort of a journey of um, discovery and, and kind of figuring out what what you can do to keep an open source project going long term. Um, it is very draining and can be very stressful when um somebody like me sat there or the maintainer of caddy mr holt or asim from the micro project and you sort of sat there and you're, you're like okay so nobody's paying for this nobody will pay for it because they they're running it in production transferring millions of dollars but they they've got no reason to pay 
um, right. or to sponsor or help. Okay, woe is me, right? And you you can get there. Yeah. And then somebody will mention crowdsourcing platform like Patreon or GitHub sponsors, but I just really haven't had success with that. I really haven't been able to to build up enough momentum with it. And so this year, after I left VMware, I kind of tried that path for a few months. And in June, I just took on some commercial work using like the skills that I had. So you're a Docker captain. I used to be one, a CNCF ambassador. You're alumni. But we're both quite good at sort of digesting technology and making it accessible, democratizing um, software for developers, helping people make decisions, help people connect with developers. And so I thought maybe that's what I should be doing. And so I started working for a small company that wanted to launch a managed Kubernetes service. They actually wanted to launch managed OpenFAS and I told them not to do that because I, I thought it would be better for them with the wave to capitalize yeah. on Kubernetes. That went really well. I've done some commercial work with Rancher Labs, with Packet, built out a really nice OpenFAS IoT project for them to show off their bare metal for one of their clients at CES. Helped a company called Humio that does a log aggregation for developer experience and help them plan out a, a marketplace. And I think that, you know, there are people that will say companies should pay you for using the project and for the value they're capturing. Yeah. I do I do agree with that in the same way that I'd agree that in in theory communism sounds like a great idea. You know, it's like, but is it practical? Is it gonna work its way out? And I, I think for me, I've come on this journey um, of trying to work off Patreon, trying to work in a big commercial political environment and and still get this project done to now being entirely dependent on me and working to receive money to then work on the project. Yeah. And that's sort of where I am. And I'd like to get to the point where, and I say this a little bit in the third birthday blog post, where there's reasons for companies to pay that they feel happy with. And we've seen companies like HashiCorp do well with this sort of model. There's some features the community are clearly not going to want, but enterprise companies do. You build that and then they can purchase it from you. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's, I think it's funny how we've been all using open source for so long, but I still feel like we're figuring this sponsorship and the the support of a lot of this. We're figuring it out. You know, when I th when I think about open source and I think about how much of it I use, you know, when you when, when going all the way down, right? Like the people mm. that are developing the network driver, you know, or whatever, or the or the you know the, the curl tool, you know, all the things yeah. that we we kind of we just take for granted. And I've started to make it a habit every year, you know, to try to find a couple that I didn't normally care about before and try and try to support them because I, if I'm in this arena and I'm working on open source, you know, a lot of, a lot of the stuff, a lot of the content I create is open source, then, you know, I need to reciprocate as well. Cause I think, I think gener generosity is part of it, but also it, it's like, we've got to change the culture of how people perceive open source and the transaction we all have, right? Like if I'm, I'm completely taking, but not giving and, you know, GitHub obviously completely raised the awareness of open source. And I love that they're dipping their toe in the sponsoring thing. So while we're on this topic with you, I just want to mention that for those of you watching, if you're at all interested in helping Alex with his open source, because he's got a ton of stuff here, you can now sponsor him on GitHub, which I just did. Uh, oh, thank I, you. I should have done it a year ago. But the the projects he's 
working on aren't just silly little things that he uses. These are things that indeed thousands and thousands of people are using. He's got 20,000 likes, I think, on OpenFairs, right? On, on stars. Yeah, I mean, if you, if, if you, if you aggregate it um, across the main repos, there's over 20,000 like stars on that. Yeah. There's 5,000 stars on inlets. There's almost, you know, 1.5 thousand on ketchup. And you know, we look at the downloads and, it's not that I expect, you know, a developer that installs something on his Raspberry Pi at the weekend to to cough up hundred dollars a month. I mean, one thing that I'll show that I'll show you, um, maybe show you on my screen, is that I put together insiders updates, e- emails, if you like, and they take me a good hour or so to write. Um, sorry, this was the insiders update for December. And they generally have a theme. There was a video of the birthday celebration, some of the content and blog posts, new features from the project, security updates that you're going to need. Here was a diagram about FASD and sort of helping people understand where it fits in and where they might use it. So these are very detailed. There's a lot of value here. But, you know, I had somebody say to me, why, you know, I'm not going to sponsor you because I don't use any of your projects. And I think that's really a mute point because companies that do use a project don't sponsor either so please don't do it because you use it do it because you um, believe in what i'm doing and you want to see it continue i'm working for a living and it's very hard and stressful being self-employed and and not knowing where the next paycheck's going to come from but i'm happy to do that because i believe that open vans deserves a future and there isn't anyone else that's kind of going to give up their job and work on it full time. It would be nice if the companies appreciated it, but I'm good with where we are. Uh, what we do have is some really nice sponsors that have put up a little bit of money to be on the homepage. So I want to say thank you to to the guys that are shown there as well. Yeah, that's um, a pretty and, good list you know, too. You can get swag as well. There's the cups, um, as we see here. And then in the latest email, you know, there's some more content. But I mean, one of the other things is that if you Google bare metal Kubernetes, Golang unit testing, I have like hundreds of blog posts and the chances are that you've read one. If you want to keep seeing them, if you found them useful, then, you know, all of this support helps me to understand that, you know, it's appreciated. And maybe we can kind of meet in the middle. It would be great if the GitHub sponsors funded one day of my time per week or maybe per month. Yeah. Maybe over time might go to two. And then it means that I have to hustle less to get less client work because I can then work on the open source or the tutorial that you're going to use at work to land a next promotion or whatever it happens to be. Yeah. One thing that like this show that a lot of my students really enjoy is the the Q&A parts. So, you know, I'm sure that you're going to be experimenting with lots of stuff. It sounds like you're shifting, by the way, from Patreon over to GitHub sponsorship. Is that right? <clears throat> yeah. So I don't know where we'll be with GitHub sponsors when when we're fully out of the the sort of initial period. Whether there's going to be a, a fee, I imagine there will be, but the fee on Patreon is definitely higher at the moment, and yeah. the GitHub is much easier to use, despite being quite a nascent platform. Quite quite small it only just got the ability to show who had sponsored and and cancelled and i looked at it and i was like my gosh that's why this feels like such a struggle because like 10 people cancelled in the last week and then on patreon 300 dollars of people cancelled like in in the week before christmas and so when you add it all up it's quite it's quite difficult it's two steps forward 
um, maybe three steps back. But yeah, I mean, um, GitHub's what I'm focusing on. All of my updates can get sent there through the email system that they have, which I think people really like. And then it's just great to have it all integrated. I put all of my code on GitHub. I like I like just using that one platform for everything. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I do one one things I do like about Patreon is that it it allows you to like put up some descriptions and videos and stuff that. And I'm not sure you're actually the first person, <clears throat> excuse me, on GitHub that I've I've sponsored, and I wasn't really sure of the experience, but there is that nice intro text that you get to have there for sponsoring someone because i just figured like this to me is like the 1.0 release of them uh, supporting sponsors you know is, is the this is their entry into it oh and well and i guess the other positive thing about github is that they match right at least for now they're matching sponsorships um, well i mean uh i burnt i burnt through that so um, oh. there's there's no matches for me now but <laughs> It if told me, it said it was eligible. matching. That's weird. It said that it said. Up to, up to uh, there's like, imagine it's like a bursary and you drain it down. So okay. if you get 100 bucks that month, they'll give you 200. But then that's 100 bucks out of your bank, get a bank account if you like. And when that's all drawn down, there, you know, there's no matching after that. Okay. You've got, but, you got Brandon on here, by the way, saying fellow sponsors. Thank Brandon you. Brandon Gula. You really appreciate it. And you look, I know that some people will be inspired to sponsor and then they, they'll, you know, they just can't manage it anymore. Whether it's three pounds a month or $5 a month, which is probably less than the cost of a coffee in the U S sometimes she just can't do it anymore. And I understand, but I don't think it's a lot of money. And if we get enough people involved, you get the insiders emails from me, you get to see what I'm doing you'll get the latest access to what I'm what I'm building. Maybe FASD would be great at your company, but you're never going to know or if you're going to have to sift through my Twitter feed, which is uh, which I put far too much content out on. Yeah. I do like the idea of, of having insider updates like that, where one of the challenges we've had, probably the same for you, is that you know things are spread out everywhere. You've got videos on YouTube and tweets about things that get lost in the feed, and you've got different repos, and there's... And a lot of stuff isn't blog worthy, right? Like when you, you don't necessarily want to have a blog entry on a blog and not very many of us go and stare at a blog and read through a bunch of posts all at once. So I've always liked this idea of the newsletter in the inbox. And is that what the the updates in GitHub yeah. does? does? Is yeah, it, so yeah. what I showed you, I think I think that came onto your screen, didn't it? When I showed the birthday cake and yep, you saw that. So yeah. that was an example of one. Um, this is my, this is actually the, the my sponsor's preview page you can see why i'm doing this why why i've decided to to go down this track and there is a little video like you said so i've posted that on there and it kind of talks about my expectations each level has different different parks and then we're at 109 but you know if you even if you took 109 and you times it by five it's still not I mean, what can you do with 500 bucks a month? Right. But can't quit your job. <laughs> it's complimentary and it, it's additive and it's definitely helpful. And for me, I think it's more of a support aspect. You know, there's a lot of people here that I know or that I want to get to know. And I really appreciate, you know, seeing all these familiar faces. here. I mean, it does mean a lot. I do like the little uh, display of all the people. That's pretty cool. It makes it feel like there's a community there that's uh, helping you out. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. it it entices me to join. So, yeah. Well, and this is the beginning, right? This is not even a year-old feature in GitHub. So, 
My hope is is that a lot more people get used to this method and that people are willing to spend a little bit of money every month and they get used to the subscriptions. So, Right. I mean, and then obviously it's more helpful to have a company. And and quite often, you know, the the homepage sponsors, as I said before, they're not necessarily using OpenFAS. DigitalOcean is a company that I think recognizes how much I talk about DigitalOcean and enjoy using it, you know, I'm not paid to say that, but I just actually like it. And I know a lot of developers do too. They're a homepage sponsor. And so it's quite nice for them to do that and show how much they they kind of care about open source. Rancher is up there too. And those are much more helpful. You imagine, you know, one homepage sponsor for six months is the equivalent of quite a lot of little faces down here. Yeah. And it all goes towards the same effort. But as I say, my blog, my blog post on the third birthday, my hope is to find a, a more sustainable or like recurring or passive income that could then get some people, other people full time to come on board and work on these open source projects for the community and for the end users. Yeah. What I do find is, you know, I've had this a number of times, a commercial company is using a project, they won't sponsor, they won't um, take out a support contract, they won't take out professional services, and yet they'll ask lots and lots of questions raised lots of lots of prs and there'll be incredible drain on my time and i'm trying to i'm trying to do my job i'm trying to run a business one yeah. thing another there's there's other things that i'm interested in the community may have no interest at all in the feature that they that they want because they're just volunteers and yet they have these expectations very lofty expectations that they're somehow owed something because the project's open source and yeah. i really want to say that it, it's not and if you want to have ultimate success with the project imagine if you were working with pivotal you would have a technical account manager. You'd have maybe like a systems analyst or a or a sales engineer work with you to help you implement. And with DX, current client, that's what they've decided to do. So we have a like 20% of time per week because it's a bit more of an implementation phase. And they've hit a few roadblocks that if they're on their own, they would have that would have been it. But instead, Christian, one of one of the co-founders, will have a call. We'll look into the problem. Sometimes we'll figure out a solution straight away. Sometimes it will result in a patch or me prioritizing that for them. But he can't go to a random person in the community and just go, please look at this business thing for me. And so I think, you know, companies that want to be really successful with open source projects, even if they don't want to sustain in the long run, could potentially benefit from like a customer success or a POC type of engagement. Yeah, and it's funny because when there's tools, a lot of the big tools we use, a lot of companies feel like, you know, they're, they're, let's just say Windows, for example, right? For years, there was years and years and years and years. There was no way, unless you paid them hundreds of thousands of dollars to really get to anyone of any meaningful authority to even talk about your feedback on changing a tool that, you know, you would your company completely depends upon in every way, right? And I think it's now we're, we're even. I was reading a great article the other day. It was talking about how Netflix was one of the first everyday common consumer subscriptions that people had on a monthly basis. Like it was like when back even when it was a DVD service in America, it was one of the first times we were we were all signing up for a thing that we were getting month monthly and um, ongoing benefits. And that here we are, you know, almost twenty years later, where we've all got dozens you know some of us dozens of subscriptions to small little things whether it's you know apple tv plus or hulu or you know whatever thing you know something on the internet that you're paying for that you really like and i really hope that this that 
it seems like the right time for this to introduce these subscriptions for the idea of helping software, even when it's not necessarily a formal contract. But that it's it's cool that you have that formal contract. It's not a whole lot of open source people can do that. So it's cool right. that I think it's I cool mean, that you can I, offer that. I to couldn't people. do it when I was at VMware. Yeah. Um, there's no way. And I remember speaking to my manager at the time, and he said it sounds like uh, it sounds like you're trying to start a business. And now that I have the ability to, it's not those existing customers that needed that help because I think there is this mentality that open source should be free and done free. It's the newer clients that are coming in now. Like we want to do this, want to solve this problem and they see the value in using someone external. I think the market for for this sort of thing is smaller than the market for helping brands and, and companies connect with developers. And so I would see probably a mix of that in over the next year for me, but you know, the better I do in the business, the better OpenFaz is going to do. And the more sponsorship, then the the easier that will be too. Yeah. Well, I definitely wish you the best of luck. I think you make great stuff ever since that day at DockerCon 2017 when you got on stage and d- demoed. The first time I'd ever seen a, a AI speaker sitting on the stage actually responding to you over the over the it's this, like the voice of god wasn't it it was yeah. amazing <laughs> the speakers of the those gigantic thousand hundred thousand watt speakers and it was really cool so i don't know if you ever get to do that again but i i, I recommend it to anyone who could see that in a show it was really cool and we definitely will, should have you back on the show to just talk about how you know six months from now talking about you know a world of open source and trying to use open source as a vessel for income and there's lots of people trying to do it and I applaud you for being brave enough to give it a shot because it's it can be pretty scary when you have a family to support. And mm. I, I understand that you know, being a business, a multi-time business owner and business owner failure, I can say that it's not it's not easy, and it it keeps you up at night sometimes. So, yeah, I appreciate that, Brett. And it, you know, it's not just that I I kind of want to do open source full time, although it, you know it's enjoyable. I you know this project does need capital deployed to it yeah. to survive and to thrive. And at the moment I'm, I'm doing what I can, but also, you know, the community make a huge impact and there's some really great people around me. Um, again, that's an, another part of this is I had two or three one-to-ones today, one with a guy in India who, who works, who works a job and he's very, he's very loyal. He's been around from the beginning and he gets a lot from it, particularly he doesn't get to express his creativity and his interest in technology as much as he wants to at work and that mm. reminds me of how it used to be for me um, in my sort of past you know younger me and so I like to see these people connect and today we had this conversation he was telling me how much I'd encouraged him and helped him to grow all these he said I just knew a few docker commands when I met you and now I'm writing go in in open fires and running my own kubernetes I said well what do you think about um, you doing that for someone else what you know would you like to do that and so now sort of um, seeding that idea for him and helping him to become a leader in, in and of himself when really, you know, it's probably something he'd never have considered and, until we kind of got together and, and, and kind of been able to emulate that for him. Yeah, that's great. And it's also hard for you to, both of you to be on the call at the same time because you guys, are, you and India are like 10 hours apart India's, or something. In, India's okay. It's India and Pacific that is um, yeah. impossible, I would think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have a lot, a lot of uh, students from India. So shout out to all you all if you're watching. 
And it's it's always a challenge because they're asking all the great questions at three in the morning for me. So I can't always yeah. be there to help them when they need it. Well, again, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, for those of you all that are joining here at the very end, because I know YouTube, it's, you know, we all just watch 10 minutes of something and move on. But if you're joining, we just had a great show about a lot of Alex's projects, all related to Docker and Kubernetes and container stuff and functions as a service. So make sure you watch that when it processes here in a, an hour or two, and you can watch it the whole show over again. But the summary here is that for those of us that work in open source, we appreciate your patronage. And Alex is, I'll show it one more time, on his on his GitHub page, you can sponsor him and all the great work he does. And he's looking for help there, as well as, you know, anyone who wants to help out in the open source community, especially like you mentioned DigitalOcean. I love DigitalOcean. I talk a lot about it in my courses, always recommending it for easy server spinups. And one of the things they do every October is, what's it called? Oktoberfest. Oktoberfest. Yeah. And you you could help Alex with some of his open source, not only learning containers and Go and all these other leading technologies, but you could also do that in the fall. It's a little ways, bit of ways, but I'm just giving you an idea for your fall projects. So Alex, we know that you can get Alex, by the way, on his Twitter handle down here on, below on the screen. You can follow him on GitHub like we just talked about. Uh, anywhere else you would want people to find yeah, you? Yeah, so if you go to excuse me, slack.openvaz.io, not .com. That will give you the page for joining our Slack community. There's channels on there for just general Docker, for Kubernetes, for ARM, for inlets, for ketchup, and for contributing. And you're most welcome to come. If you're thinking about trying out some new tech with Kubernetes, or you want to chat, learn Golang, or contribute in some way, just be part of this journey, please do sign up. I'm just sharing a picture on my screen at the moment, and I wanted to say this is part of the Insiders Update of December. Thanks so much to my wife for all the support that you've given. I couldn't do this without you. You, you know, you're a rock for me, and uh, thank you for you know supporting me in this venture. I really appreciate everything that you do. That's pretty great. And so you're wearing fantastic Christmas sweaters really on, on my end, and say that. You know, if you're thinking of deploying a service to Kubernetes, we're thinking of learning Kubernetes. The way to think about OpenFaz is like a, a shell or an abstraction. Remember back to the days of Mean and Lampstack. Well, OpenVaz can be that for you. And I think it's probably worth giving a shot because a lot of companies have saved time. Inlets is a service tunnel that you can use between networks. It's great just to get a public IP for something. And it also integrates to Kubernetes. And then Ketchup powered this big cluster behind me. I set up 24 um, Raspberry Pi nodes, all running Kubernetes very quickly. You can use it in public cloud too. And you can install apps. So it makes the apps very, very easy. Mongo, Postgres, the dashboard for Kubernetes, whatever you want. Do check them out. It'd be great to hear from you. And if you need help with your developer brand or, or kind of getting a bit more visibility for your project in Cloud Native, feel free to get in touch. That's a great summary of all the projects all in one go. So, uh, go. yeah. Thanks, man. Thanks. So thanks for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode.